1: Welcome to another episode of Relentlessly Resilient, where real people share real-life experiences and the tools they've developed to move forward and live their best life. I am Michelle Sharf,
2: And I am Jenny Taylor, and today we have a guest who is another widow, even though we try not to do only widow shows, today is a widow show. And we've got Lisa Valentine Clark. Lisa, thank you for joining us. Thank you
3: for having me.
2: Okay. Many of you will recognize Lisa either by her voice or if you see her pictures as we post this podcast on our social media pages because she's an actress. She's got her own podcast. She is one of my um, quiet mentors. She doesn't even know. But we're we're (laughs) grateful to have you here to share this journey that has brought you to widowhood through the terrible disease that is ALS and we're so sorry for the loss of your husband and the dreams and the years that you would have had together through that terrible disease. I think all of us in this room and many of us listening know someone that has lost that battle to just a terrible terrible illness that is ALS. But we would love for you to back up before the before the sadness, before this grief journey And just introduce yourself and your husband to us. How did you meet? How did you come together? These two vibrant personalities that have (laughs) blessed so many other lives through your own talents. I know you have children together and this wonderful, beautiful, messy life. Can you just give us a little bit of your backstory?
3: Yeah, you bet. I was uh, raised in Lincoln, Nebraska, came out to college. At Brigham Young University, like many people do, my husband had just returned home from an LDS mission in Finland, and we met soon after he got home. He was on an acting scholarship at BYU, but decided to be an English major because it was more practical. Which
2: really <laughs> laugh was that his at idea or his parents' idea?
3: <laughs> <laughs> I, I think just, you know, the idea of what is life, and, and I should probably get serious. Whoa, and how can I great. make a living you know, he loved Shakespeare and acting, and he just sure. thought, you know, how am I going to make a living on this? I similarly was, like, uh, trying to figure out. I was interested in so many things, but I just loved all of my English classes. And I just wanted to read books and talk about them, and I just thought, oh, that's a major? Okay, let's do that. And the English, <laughs> society,
0: <laughs> that.
3: The English society was putting on a play. So, you know, I was acting on the side, Christopher was acting on the side, so we were like, English majors putting on a play, well, this is for us. And so we met at an audition for this English Society play, and he got the coveted role of Satan. I mean, who doesn't want to play that juicy role, and I got cast as a, as a chicken on Noah's Ark, and you may have missed that in, in, wow. in the scriptures, but um, wow. but it was really a pivotal role uh, for Noah <laughs> and his family, let me tell you. <laughs> it was the most ridiculous production. It really was, because it was meant to be taken seriously, and we did not. And you could you know, and Yes. Yeah, And we just had so much fun at this play. And so that's when I had known one of his best friends who also was in the play, as his friend Jay, who played King Herod, very comically, which, again, another bold choice. We made a lot of bold choices during that play. But the three of us just decided just to kind of hang out. These guys were so funny. And that's how we met. And then you fast forward a couple of years and sort of ditched the friend, and we fell in love. (laughs) (laughs) No more King Herod. Yeah, yeah, sorry. And, uh, yeah, we were married in 1995, and just, I mean, we had no money and lots of hopes and dreams. Just had a a great life together. I remember we joked, you know, our first year anniversary, Christopher gave me daisies and said, you know, we're too poor for roses. (laughs) So sorry (laughs) for that. But, like. Oh, we were just making fun of how everyone was like, you know, the first year is the hardest. We looked at each other, and he, with his daisy, said, This has been the, the best first year. What are you talking oh, about? Oh, that's
2: beautiful.
3: And that was just kind of like how our marriage was. I mean, yes, did we have hard times? Yeah, probably sure. more than most, but that didn't come until later. And Christopher got a master's in staging Shakespeare and a PhD in theater and education leadership. And through a lot of training, training at the Old Globe, training at Second City and Steppenwolf and a bunch of other... If if, if you were into acting, you'd be like, wow, that's a lot of training no <laughs> all kidding. over the world.
2: And well, you don't hear of a lot became, of performers with a PhD no. in it. I mean, it's one thing yeah. to study it and then get a role and, and run with the profession, but that's the academic side as well. Yeah.
3: Yeah. He just led an incredible life. And early on in our marriage, you know, he had a, a job in retail and he looked at me, we had two little boys by then, and just said, you know, I just don't feel like I'm doing what I'm, you know, love and what I was meant to do. And we packed up and we moved to England to get that master's. Oh in my And wow. never looked back. And yeah, and it was the best thing that we really felt guided spiritually to do it. We really felt excited for it. And that's just kind of how it's like, you want to do this crazy thing? Yeah, let's do it. And then and we just made thought it he work. really and we made it work, yeah. and, and he was like, "You know, if I have to be an adjunct professor, if I have to sure. teach stuff in, in order to be able to direct theater, which yeah. is really, really what my love and passion is, I'm going to do it." And I was like, "Yeah, let's do it." You oh, know, I love that you we didn't, you know, in that. oh well, you know, because I supported me in the things that I wanted to do. So I graduated with that degree in English. I taught high school for a little bit, and then I taught some online courses back in the the early days of the internet. <laughs> you know, <laughs> not, when you we were covid learning when that.
2: everyone sure. That's impressive. You am the trailblazer.
3: Listen, I tell my kids I was grandma of the internet teaching. They're like, yeah, okay, mom, whatever. Um, (laughs) A prophet in my own country. And, um, you know, I wanted to have a, a, a bunch of kids. I wanted a loud, happy house full of, like, art and being able to do interesting projects. And luckily... Chris and I wanted the same things, right? And we worked for him. So he he wanted to direct theater. I wanted to act. I started doing like voiceovers. We had five kids in there. How in the
2: world? No kidding. I don't know. Are your kids all as... We love it. Are your kids performers? Are they vivacious? Do you just like sit and laugh all day every day as each other's
3: like taking on whatever role of the chicken? Yeah, at my kids. They're all very, very different. So we had five kids and... I've done a lot of acting and things like that, but I have one son who is really into like filmmaking. He's just made some student films that won some award, and he wants to act, you know, like his dad. And I have a son who is an English major. It was really, really hard for him to come out to us, and <laughs> we were like, "No,
1: don't do it." Anything, <laughs> but the grammar but police in that major, house must be—that's got to be, be so terrible. If there's any He's non like, You're just going
3: to have to love me how I am. <laughs> I like reading books, okay?
2: <laughs> you can major in that. I didn't know. I love that. <laughs> so,
3: so, I've he been wants sitting to be here like a sh- translation I- Japanese. Mm-hmm.
2: So, I've been sitting here
1: as you're talking and I'm a little bit distracted, I'll be honest. I've been going <laughs> through your Facebook page and I found a picture oh. of your husband in 2019.
3: Clearly on a set. What movie was that or what play was that? In 2019. Uh-huh. Oh, so he was hired to be Paul in the Bible.org videos oh, that the cool. Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints did. So, you know, he was diagnosed with ALS in 2016. So by 2019, they had done all the videos, like they had filmed them over in, you know, Italy and in Goshen, Utah. And so the bulk of all of that had been done before his diagnosis. But after in 2019, once he'd been living with it for a few years, they needed to do some more stills. They needed some photos that they were going to do and put into the different MTCs and for other materials. And he said to them, you know, I don't know, (laughs) I have this disease. And I can't like walk and (laughs) control my muscles and stuff. And they were like, well, let's just see what we can do. And he actually had a really like a powerful experience being on set to be able to get those shots and those stills. So those pictures mean a lot to us personally, as a family.
1: Yeah, I imagine they do. I I'm listening to your story and I hear the love and excitement of you talking about him. And I see these photos and it's so clear the absolute love that you had for one another. Yeah. We, had, really a great, we had a great
3: great marriage, a great life together.
2: And those five kids. Yeah. So you've got the two sons, one in filmmaking, one in English major. What's the rest yeah, of the breakdown of your a, kiddos?
3: Yeah, you bet. And then my second child just got uh, accepted to a BFA and um, is a visual artist and just, and is such a hard worker. And then our daughter is in home MTC right now and is getting ready to go on a mission oh, to El exciting. Salvador. Yeah, in like a week. And then our youngest is in middle school and likes to perform reluctantly. That's reluctantly. That's way to. Can but she likes it. Can, but she likes it.
2: Okay, you can reluctantly like something if you're in a family full I of can't artists. I
3: can be the stage mom. I know I was meant to be. To <laughs> I think she won't let such me reach, reach my full mom. potential. Yeah. Yeah. She's,
2: she's holding yeah, you back. She tells
3: me to back off. Yeah, yeah. she's holding I, me back. That is
2: so great. All right, so you've got this beautiful life you've met. You've been married since the mid-'90s. You're you're somehow living this amazing dream. You know, a lot of people with a lot of artistic talent do not find a path that works for them to make a career out of it and have a family and stay yeah. and, and stay married and stay happy and stay all of these beautiful things that it sounds like you and your husband were able to do we're going to take a quick break and come back and we want you to walk us through this journey the health journey the looking for the diagnosis everything how did you know when did you know how did that all begin with chris we'll be right back All right, Lisa, so you've got these five beautiful kids. What year was your youngest born? I'm trying to do some basic math here. Two thousand eight. Okay, so two thousand eight you've January. got your last you've mm-hmm. got your last baby. You're acting, your husband's directing, you're by all intents and purposes, living the dream. Sounds like a a oh, great yeah. A great family life. Sure. Well (laughs) would anybody really want to live the dream? I know. So tell us what what happened with Chris with his health? Um, what were some of the early warning signs and what was that process of looking for and then finally finding his ALS diagnosis?
3: Well, he'd always been really healthy. Um, He had a back surgery in his 20s that was kind of a sort of a genetic, like all of his aunts and uncles needed this back surgery and just was just fine and just like the height of his health. And I had finished having my last baby and we're building our careers and our family. And as we like to say, like just hustling, right? Like he knew that if he wanted to be a theater director and support a family, and if I wanted to raise five kids and have my pursuits, as, we knew we both would, you know, work hard. And, yeah. and so I think we sort of thought, oh, we can work our way out of this, you know. Yeah. You know, to kind of like get little gigs here and there to piece together and then think about putting them all through college later. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so they can Listen. all go. You never know. And, and, and it was. It was really great. And then in 2016, he noticed a, like a slight drag in his leg and kind of had mentioned something to it of like, oh, I just wonder if like I just can't shake it. It's kind of weird. And I thought, that's weird. You know, like drink a glass of water, take an sure. ibuprofen, you're fine. Shake you it know, off. Like- let's go back to work. Exactly like "Mm, weird. (laughs) And then it didn't go away and didn't go away. And then he was kind of limping a little bit. And he said, you know, the weirdest thing was happening. I was wanted to cross the street and it took my brain like a full second, which is kind of a long time to get it to move. And I was like, Mm. ooh, that's maybe you have a pinched nerve. Maybe it's, you know, you're back again. And that's kind of what we thought. So we made some appointments to get an MRI and, and a checkup and it was totally clean and normal. And we were like, that's weird. And that was kind of the holidays and things like that. And then when he got another MRI and it was higher up in his neck, then people got really concerned because they're like, you are having, it's getting worse and we see nothing. So then there was an intense period of about three to four months where they were testing for everything because no one even suggests or tests for ALS until they've ruled out like a hundred different other things. And it's at the bottom of the list, right? They don't even say it out loud until it's like a confirmed diagnosis. No. I mean, and of course, I went on WebMD like any person and Googled (laughs) symptoms and ALS came up and I was like, well, it's not that. Like, of course not. Yeah. And to be my brother else. and my and my sister in law are both physicians, and they were like, "Yeah, don't go on about them. You know, like, okay, <laughs> Stay okay, off the internet, right, right?" And so after they ruled out cancer and leukemia and MS and a brain tumor, I mean, they were testing for everything, and oh it, we and goodness. it just didn't tell anyone, and it was just a sickening way to live. And so, Lisa, you know, can I ask a question that might—
2: might feel insensitive because of the emotional of everything. How did you pay for this? Did you guys have health benefits in your performing world? Because all Uh, of these tests are horrendously expensive. And if they're not giving answers, you just need more tests. Are you getting buried under medical bills at the same time?
3: Well, because of our desire to sort of, like, hustle and be able to, you know, support a family, and it was always really important for us to have insurance, and boy, did that pay off. Okay. Um, and we always felt very, very strongly about that. Okay. Um we always had health insurance, always, always, and he was a tenured professor at this time at Utah Valley University. Okay, um, pretty much for the benefits. Sure. Again, which totally right. you're paid not, off for us. You're not
2: going to get them through yeah. side gigs and acting and things. No
3: heavens. Okay, no. Okay, sorry. I know the, who, yeah. the mom, no, I, the, the mom and, and me wants to know: could you
2: pay? That? Could you pay your bills? I mean, I know your husband's dealing with his health, but holy cow, are you also because? Money can't solve problems, oh, yeah. but lack of yeah. the necessary money can, can exaggerate
3: yeah. every problem. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Well, and I remember going in for the MRI going, oh, great. We're, we haven't met our deductible. Yeah. Like, where are we going to come up with $1,200? I mean, I did for think that. For one of like, the tests. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I was like, okay, so like if Ugh. I do that gig, if I do that voiceover mm-hmm. thing, then that should pay for the deductible. So I think we'll be okay. But then oh, it's the gosh. holidays. And do I have money saved? Yeah. And I remember one time he was doing a test because they wanted to make sure he didn't have a brain tumor. Right.
2: Okay. And I
3: was like, "Here's where we were with that." At, at that moment, I was like, "We were hoping it was a brain tumor because at least oh. you can operate on a brain tumor." Mm, right. And I was driving my dented Dodge Grand Caravan, <laughs> and 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 I remember it was kind of lurching, and we'd had it forever, like it had had like two hundred thousand miles on it. And I remember thinking it was like kind of doing this weird thing, and I remember like praying, like I can't have. The transmission go out yeah. in this car and my husband be diagnosed with a brain tumor in the same week. Yeah, can I can't we handle separate it. those two things. And I remember the the car made it that week. Oh, <laughs> oh Lisa. <laughs> like barely. And then it was, yeah, he doesn't have a brain tumor. And we were like, oh crap, he doesn't now have what? a brain tumor. What yeah. Is, yeah. So finally in the end of March of 2016, he was referred very unceremoniously, you know, like it's scribbled on a piece of paper. Yeah. Hey, go to this clinic and he can read diagnosis ALS. And he's like, wait, nobody sat and told me this, but go to this specialist really? up at the university of Ugh. Utah. Oh yeah. It was just like so poorly handled, but you know, and at the doctor's defense, no one wants to tell anybody like, you know, sure. you're will going to be specialists. specialists that don't tell know you that. You. I'm not going to tell you. Yeah. You go and Google it in your car and cry, you yeah. know, like not in my office. So he Ugh. went up to the, Specialist who confirmed, yes, this is what it is, and our lives just were never the same. Everything was different, and you know, by then he was walking with a cane, and it got kind of you know difficult to walk. So everyone was like, "What's going on? What's the matter?" You know, yeah. and we had to tell you know our kids who at the time were eight to eighteen, mm. you know, five in there, and tell our parents and our friends, and that was probably the worst. One of the worst experiences of my life is telling our really? loved ones. So
1: for those and, that don't uh, know, tell us what ALS is. It's commonly referred yeah. to as ALS, but it's, it's Lou Gehrig's con- <laughs> disease, and there's a bigger word for it. And then kind of explain what that means when you get that diagnosis.
3: When you get the diagnosis, ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, the average life expectancy is two to five years. Oh so it is gosh. a terminal disease that has no treatment to slow it down, no cure, of course, and a lack of fundraising. So I call it the worst. It's like the worst of the worst diseases. There's not a lot of awareness about it. You know, it's still like in 100 years, since like when Garrett got it, and he was a baseball player who famously said, you know, I just feel like because of my family and friends, the luckiest guy in the whole world, um, and then quietly died um, from it. I mean, we really haven't made huge breakthroughs in it. And, you know, I thought, oh, I'm going to out research this and out study it. And if anybody is a, have lived a charmed life and has had unexpected, funny and awesome things happen to him, it's Chris Clark. So yeah. maybe there'll be a cure. You know, maybe we're the ones. Yeah, to you'll be the one to break it. it through. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and that got us through that first year, right, of all the shock and the trauma. How old are both and of my you sisters? at the
2: time of diagnosis?
3: Yeah. Let's see. So at the time of diagnosis, Christopher was 42, almost 43. Okay. Yeah, so our lives were never the same. And for four and a half years, I tried to stay ahead of the disease for him. I tried to make him comfortable, and we went through every imaginable change, like emotionally, spiritually, physically, with our house, with our friendships, with our relationships, with our jobs, with everything, everything changed. Every little detail of our lives changed in kind of dramatic ways. So from diagnosis he could walk and talk and move and express himself. And by the time he passed away four and a half years later, he couldn't move or speak or really swallow. And so it was quite a dramatic time of life and an intensity for sure. And then throw in a global pandemic in there at the end.
2: Well Um, and five kids, like you said, your youngest daughter was still so young and your oldest child wasn't Mm -hmm. old.
3: By any means, no, um, no. I remember looking at them and thinking, "Well, my oldest is eighteen, so one of my kids got a carefree childhood. A childhood, great.
2: Yeah, one out of yep. five. That's one a of them terrible got terrible. One out of five. That's a terrible it. statistic,
3: Lisa. Yeah, I hated it. I hated it. I we didn't want this for our kids, you know. Right. And and you're powerless to it. And then you know you're over. Is there testing
1: so you know in advance of symptoms?
3: No. And in fact, that's one of the other cruel things about this horrible disease is that progression for everyone is that not only on a different rate, but at a different progressive. So we met people mm-hmm. who it started in their legs, like Christopher, some who it started in their voice, some who started in their arms, some who passed away being able to talk Some passed away being able to walk or some like Christopher not being able to do any of it. So there was no way to we'd we'd go to to the specialists and say, "Okay, so you've seen lots of people with ALS. Uh, Which one do we have? How fast is this going to go? What's next? What can we expect in the next three months? And they can never, ever tell you. They just say, what can we do to help you right now to make you comfortable as comfortable? Google shower chairs. And I'm like, what? We're Googling shower? What? Like, the, what? Like it just, I was, it's uh, It's the most frustrating feeling.
2: So Lisa, what was that like for you? Take us inside your head for a minute. You're the wife, you're the mom, you're now the caretaker. Again, back to the finances, not to be cold hearted, but somebody's got to pay some bills somewhere. I imagine you can't work a lot while you're caring for him. He's not able to work or is he? What? What kept you afloat? What was your kind of personal go-to during the depth of his decline before, before you lost him, but as you can realize you are losing him?
3: Oh, it was just horrible. The most lonely, like desperate feeling ever. And I just was so glad that I had already had a very well established, like spiritual identity. I knew that I had a loving heavenly father that I could pray to and plead for. And that's where I went. And I just thought, okay, so if this is my life's plan, you know, mm. you can hear the, the resentment yeah. in my voice. Yeah, love it. Like, mm-hmm. Let's I, make a movie I, out of it. Sounds great. Then what do I do now? Because my whole thing was we had worked really hard for this life. We knew th- that we had created together, and we loved it. You know what I mean? We had yeah. made certain sacrifices and saying, you know what? We might not be very rich, but we don't care. We want lots of kids. We want to live creative, like, yeah. fun You're going to live a fulfilling and, and meet... life that taps into yeah. your your potential. And we know you don't get everything in life. And so we're going to make sacrifices to kind of get what we want. And then everything was just done. It was like, it was all laid out on a table and we're working towards this and then this and this, and we're being responsible and planning, you know, our future and, and we'll work hard now. And then we'll be able to, to do this in the future and help other people in this. And we had it all nicely laid out. And then it's like the table was tipped over and everything was just knocked off. And it was like, I was on the ground saying, okay, well, what do I even Pick up and put up on the table. Like, why would I do this? Like, why make plans then? What does life mean? Like, it was like, okay, this is. And Christopher had such a great attitude of, I mean, he went to a really good therapist who was like, you know, take 10 to 15 minutes to feel sorry for yourself every day because you have every reason to. Like, this is literally the worst thing. And, you know, you're going to be slowly trapped into your body. And this is awful. And and he just saw how hard I had to work, and he felt so guilty. And and I was like, No, 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 no we're not doing that to each other. You know, yeah, we're, we're in, this, in together. this together. You were a great husband. There's no guilt. This is no, we're doing it together. And after about the first year, he just had this attitude of this was God's plan for me. So I'm just going to enjoy it. I'm not going to waste time thinking about the things I can't do anymore. Like I can't play the piano anymore. Okay, fine. Then I'll still direct. When he lost his voice and he was like, okay, well, I, I'll teach until, and Utah Valley University and his colleagues couldn't have been better. And like, whatever you need, if you need to start meetings late in the morning, because it took so long for him to, to get, get up and, going, and get yeah. going, you know, and all that kind of stuff. They're like, great. You can teach or not teach whatever classes you want. We're going to accommodate what kind of adaptive equipment do you need from the university? We've got you covered. And they were great. And that helped his mental state of being because he was able to work for a long time, which gave him a sense of purpose. And then he said, you know, when I lost my voice, then I'm going to stay home and then I'll still like I'll get an assistant director and still direct. And, you know, the Hale Center Theater, where he would direct, it was like, great, we'll take you for whatever you want to do. And they just accommodated him, and, and it gave him a sense of purpose. And when he passed away, you know, he couldn't move or talk, and he was writing plays. And he was in pre-production for a show as a producer, you know, Are for, you kidding? for UV. And he didn't finish those things, but that's how he wanted to die. He wanted to die having, like, I've got to get up, Lisa. I've, gotta, I've got a production meeting at, like, you know, 2 in the afternoon, and I'd be like, oh you don't need to go. got a pretty good excuse to miss you're really tired and you're having seizures. And so I think they'll understand. He's like, Nope, this is how I live. I live until the end. And he did. And, you know, two days before he passed away, you know, he planned a elaborate surprise for our 25th wedding anniversary with a chef and a musician and jewelry. And like, I was like, what are you doing? (laughs) You have like 20 good minutes a day. And he's like, this is how we live. This is how I, you know. And anyway, it was very, very touching. And to and to kind of go back to your earlier question, like that's how we lived. And, and, and he didn't worry about things will work out. If this was meant to be for us, then the Lord's going to provide, and we have done the very best we can. Like we're not going to be destitute. And we had good friends that did fundraisers for us um, to help to um, buy some adaptive equipment that's not covered by insurance. Right. We had really great insurance, and most of the stuff is just not covered by insurance. That You know, it's one of those horrible diseases. In fact, it's estimated from the National ALS Association that it costs about $225,000 a year. Um, oh, my to, gosh. To have to, ALS. To keep a person, to have, a, to have ALS. We lived in a split level house and the first thing like my sister oh, who stairs. was just an angel came down and was like uh, and my parents were like you can't live in this house look yeah. at all these stairs like he's going to be in a in a wheelchair before you know it and I was still in shock and I just didn't know what was going on and my sister was like are you going to move or are you going to stay here and I was like well I'm not uprooting my kids
0: right you know like they're in right. a neighborhood
3: they love with friends and a church community and a neighborhood. Na- like, life yep yes. absolutely and we both felt so strongly about that. And then so my sister was like, well, then we're building an addition on your house so that it'll be handicap accessible. So so you could stay put, but still
2: accommodate.
3: Yeah. And so we just started it. We had people in our ward family, in our church community who were like, okay, we'll help, you know, who were contractors and a former bishop who was just like pacing outside my house and was like, I have to help, I have to help and we were like, you know, you just feel so humbled by the whole thing. I have a a, and I'm kind of embarrassed to say that I realize that not everybody has these kinds of resources, but um, I have a brother who's quite famous and and well to do and he flew in and just was gutted by the news and said, listen, I'm going on tour and I'm not going to be able to be here, like boots on the ground, like day to day, just with my career and things, but I want to help and and offered um, to help us pay for the, you know, addition, addition. to help us pay for a,
0: you know, yeah, that. accessible
3: van. And we just cried together. And I said, yeah. I don't want this to change, you know, our relationship. We don't treat each other. To... And he's like, you know, Chris is my brother too. And and isn't this what it's all for? And oh, so wow. that, wow, was such yeah. like I'll never forget. And I love to say that because like not all of my siblings had that kind of money, but they gave what they could. Right. I have a brother who is a. Physician who just walked us through like the most horrible, held the my medical hand yeah. through all the medical side, and I have a sister who just can do anything, and she basically quit her job to help oversee the you know construction of this because we needed it yesterday.
2: Right, right. You know, You're not it, waiting the, the normal six to tick- nine, yes. twelve months to build something.
3: And she and her husband just wrapped their arms around my kids too, you know, to be like, I, we got you like, this is going to get hard. And you've got this, you know, and I have sister-in-laws who were just there dropping things off. And like, I'm here, I'm here to run kids around. I'm here to, you know, and so the community came together and it was such an outpouring of love when you're so desperately needed And for me, it was really embarrassing because I like to be the helper and not the one who, I mean, I needed everything.
0: Yeah. And it
3: was so humbling. And I remember right before Chris died, he said, you know, it's too bad. I'm dying. Yeah, I was like, "Oh, really, honey? Why? Why is that today?" Say more. And he's like, "Cause he's like, I just see how wonderful people have served us, and he's like, and now I get it, and now I know how to do it, and oh, I'm like, wow. dying." And he goes, "It's just he's like, yeah. you know, we had friends that." would make him laugh and, and put on this big benefit concert and did Xanadu because it was the most stupid, ridiculous show ever done. And people would buy tickets. And during the pandemic, people would entertain him in front of our windows. He's like, I'm oh, going to sit outside in my house, isolated from 1 to 4 in the afternoon. Those are my good hours. So feel free to come and entertain me. I mean, this is my husband, right? And people did. And they would read books to him. They would do lip syncs. Forum, they would just entertain him. And I would just have to excuse myself and go into my bedroom and cry because I felt so much love at a time when we needed to be isolated from everyone. I cannot
2: even imagine. And I know I'm just like babbling
3: on and on, but I I feel like I want to share it with the world because some people will be like, oh, it must be nice. We can all do something, we can all give in like a specific way. And I will never, like, I don't pass up like GoFundMe's on. Facebook anymore. Isn't it funny how it changes your perspective? Yes, from my perspective, I'm like $10 $10 from a stranger. Mm -hmm. It gives you a a bar that you you need in a shower. Yep, Yep. got it. I'll do it. I'd love to do I, You know, like it it changes the way you see the world.
2: I love what you said that everyone can bring what they can bring. You know, your brother that had financial resources to say, I'm going to help pay the bill on some construction or your sister that was able to leave her job and give of her time or your community members that could, that could pitch in that you've hit on so many amazing things of, of what, what lets us be resilient. We're able to be more resilient when we're surrounded by people who help us be resilient. Right. And it's not just this, even though you were physically isolated by the pandemic, I love that your husband would call people and say, Hey, come, come entertain me. He was willing to acknowledge what he needed to keep his head as afloat as possible. And Mm -hmm. And you know, so often I think people are so willing to help all of us. We're just
3: not very good at letting people help.
2: And sometimes the most.
3: Yes, I just feel like he gave people permission. He would ask them, you know, if somebody would say, "What can I do for you, man?" You know, like I would, you know, um, and he'd say something like, "You know, make my kids laugh," or or being take care of Lisa or like he, he, he would answer them because he knew that it, it benefited everybody. Right. And, And, and I think that that's such a gift. You know, I had a, Huge a college gift. roommate who was going through her own trauma at the same time. Because I think a lot of times we go through, we think, well, I'm going through a hard time. I can't reach out to other people. She was right. going through hell. And she would just post make me like cheese and Diet Coke. And I would just <laughs> like a little note. And she'd be like, I can't be there. I'm in the middle of my own trial, but I but love I, you. But I'm thinking and of you. And here's some cheese. And I'm thinking it. And like, uh, you know. Yeah. I remember those moments because they always seem to come on the time where I'm, you know, crying on the bathroom floor and like, I can't do this anymore. And, and to go back to like, to financially too, I tell everyone you need to have life insurance. I tell everyone you need need to have more life
2: insurance than you think.
3: Yep. Yep. And, um, you know, and, and I, I will say that until the day I die. And, you know, when Christopher, it was, he was going to go on permanent disability, right? because he couldn't talk anymore. And we were talking about the logistics, because I'll tell you, that's a full-time job is is being a caregiver to someone who's rapidly declining at an unknown rate. We knew that our kids needed health insurance, right? And, you know, he had good disability insurance. It was really great with his job. That was one of, you know, the perks of the job, but we were all going to lose insurance. And so I completely changed careers and got a full-time job. In order to get benefits, to get those benefits, and that, and it was early in the morning doing an early morning radio show where I had to be like bright and happy, and 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 I remember thinking, this is so funny. I'm a full time caregiver and t- taking care of all these five kids, and this is the time that I go back to work. You know, full-time. right? Like a little bit sooner than I had. You know, I was kind of warming Not up. Not according to, what to the any- original plan. Yeah, and quit my dream job of hosting Random Acts because I couldn't travel and happy to be able to take that burden off. And it ended up being such a great blessing because I would go to work early in the morning and get back early enough before Christopher woke up. And then I'd come home from work and be able to get him up, get him dressed, get him fed and, and do his stretches and stuff like that, which would take a couple of hours. And then the kids would come home from school. Like it just, The craziest, most intense schedule, but it was such a blessing for our family that our needs were taken care of. We just had to hustle a little bit more. And when he died, I was so shocked about how used we had come to that schedule. Right. Of just, I was just like, "What what do people do? Like with their hands? Like." Yeah. And the grief, I, I feel like being that busy and being that focused on such physical hard labor really helped us enjoy and appreciate each like little moment because I could be there for all of them. And 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 I'm really grateful for that. And so I feel like if people are going through like intense caregiving or someone else is just like being able to help them do that physically and and taking some of that burden off physically is right. is such a huge huge component of it that we don't normally talk no, about. Exhausting
2: so. on so many levels. Lisa, this is this is all amazing and heartbreaking, but also inspiring. We're gonna take one more break and come back and have you teach us a little more about what you have learned and are continuing to learn about resilience. We'll be right back. Lisa, we could talk for hours about the, the lessons <laughs> Sorry, learned. Sorry, I keep going i No, I'm, no I'm, I'm the same way. And I love this because I'm hearing in you all the people that have helped you, all the people that have loved, that have cared, that, that you crying on the bathroom floor and then a, a friend reaches out with such a seemingly small offering. I think sometimes we want to help each other by solving each other's problems. And we don't realize that maybe just a a text message or some cheese through Postmates would um, deliver the message even though we can't give the solution. Can you tell us a little bit about what resilience looks like to you and maybe how your concept of resilience has changed over the last five years?
3: That's a really good question because I have changed my definition of resilience. I really feel like the people who are the most resilient are reluctantly so. They didn't want to be Mm-hmm. and you know there's an, isn't one formula for everyone to be resilient i really just feel like it is is moving forward and and being able to accept what life is in the moment and it's a lot harder than 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 it looks i think you can fake resiliency which is kind of a dangerous thing um but i really well, feel like it is it moving is in a forward fake. direction yeah,
1: yeah it is
3: fi- uh, Terribly
1: dangerous to fake it because eventually um, you can't fake it any longer. And and that's when you get Uh -uh. into danger. You can't escape it. Yeah, you can't escape it. So it is true. One of the things we talk about on the show, and actually it's one of the first tools of resiliency, is to name and state clearly the issue, to be able to face it and see it for what it is. And it sounds to Mm -hmm. me like your husband had a really clear. Um, ability to do that.
3: He did. Yeah. And it was a gift to us. Yeah. The hard part for me. Oh, take care of Chris. Easy. Make right. him laugh. Give him the best care. Try to anticipate his needs. Laugh with him. Give him as many, you know, quote unquote, normal days as possible. Live in the moment. Focus and do it. You bet. Because he was right there. Like I will outwork, out organize, uh, you know, anyone. <laughs> when he was gone, that's when I had to learn my hard truths,
1: you know myself. i I've recently had some friends reach out to me that have lost uh loved ones who they have also been a caregiver one who who was a caregiver of a child for over twenty seven years, and yeah. they said, "I know you know what I'm going through. Well, I only cared for my husband twenty two months. That yeah. was at the point that my husband died the morning before he died, I went to lunch with somebody and I said, I can't bear this another day. I'm exhausted. <laughs> I was mm-hmm. doing 24-hour cares with him every hour, yeah. medications with him every 24 hours, every hour. Like, you just don't yeah. sleep. You set the alarm and no. you get up and you're yeah. like a robot and you do the next med. And yeah. um, it's exhausting. And I remember those. I I hear the anxiety and the weight of that grief when they're gone i i hear it in your voice i it triggers a memory so visceral in my body of yeah oh my gosh he actually died well god what do i what do i do tomorrow
3: and all you're left yeah what do you do yeah,
1: yeah all you're left with is a lot of time that you poured into your loved one in total service and there's nothing more rewarding than service. So you go from complete service to nothing and you also have grief and all of these other things. It's not like you can go, well, I'll just go find somebody else to serve because you really need to learn how to serve yourself at that point, which becomes, I feel that that was challenging for me. I struggled.
3: That was, challenging for me as well. That was my experience as well.
1: Yeah, it took me months to figure out that what I'm not doing is self-care for myself, and I'm not going to get better until I start serving myself, and that was the hardest yeah. thing for me to do.
3: Yeah, yeah, I can relate to that. Absolutely. I hear
1: it. I hear it in your voice. I I hear the love that you have for this man. When you talk about him, it's like he's here, and you just, you can hear the total
3: admiration and love that you have for him is beautiful.
2: It is beautiful.
3: Oh, thanks for saying I do. He is, you know, worthy of it. He, he, you know, he was dying and he, he said, I don't worry about me. I'm going to be okay. I don't worry about the kids. Um, because I, you know, he was so complimentary about me as a mother. I know that you will be fierce and that they'll be okay. And, you know, he would just say, I just worry about you. And I said, "Well, me too." So don't <laughs> die. <laughs> and I was like, Yeah, so i it's back this plates. up. I'm running. I'm I'm staying healthy so that I can lift you." You know, during the pandemic, I had to lift up a grown man and I couldn't do it before. And and I figured out a way to do it. Oh and, my gosh! You know, I figured out a way. I, I'll take I'll take the 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. shift, and my son Miles um, took the 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. shift, and it was the same thing of like feeding him in the feeding tube and a and checking for breathing and adjusting you know scratching his nose adjusting the mm. cpap you know giving emergency meds i mean turning him mm. over every like every little tiny thing and yes, um and then it all goes away one day and with your grief it it it, it felt so uh devastating in in a way that people were like Not to be rude, but aren't you a little relieved? You know, you get your life back. Mm. And I just thought, no, my life is gone My life just went. My life just went. With all these hopes and dreams. Because there's always that sliver of hope, right? Like, oh, he'll be the one that has... I can be the exception. I'll think about that later. We'll be Mm -hmm. the exception. The one that has a slower progression. The one that lives... And then it comes to that... um, the reality. And, you know, we're coming up on the reality of it, of the second anniversary of those hard conversations. Which is
2: still so brand did, new, Lisa. Second it, anniversary. It, like, yeah, wow. Yeah. I know we're coming and, and, up and on I, our fourth, yeah. and, it, yeah.
1: and it seems new yeah. on some levels. And some
2: days it feels more new than it did in the beginning. Yeah. Because in the beginning, yeah. you're kind of a bit in a fog. And
1: yeah.
2: then the That's newness comes later. It's so funny it because I,
3: I tell everyone. I don't understand how time works. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Time means nothing to me now. Mm-mm. I just am like because yeah. Some days I'll think, "Wow, that just happened," and then others I'll think that was a lifetime, a lifetime ago. ago. So, it's a widow. Yeah, that was my old life. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, well, it's that reluctantly. Lisa, tell
2: yeah. us tell us a little. What does your current life look like? What are What are you doing? How are the children doing? Um, what steps are you taking to continue forward? Hopefully this pandemic is for the most part behind us You're coming up on two years. Can you give us a synopsis of maybe where you are and what what new dreams or continuation of former dreams you're still living
3: yeah i um, my kids are all doing well they've all been to therapy they've all we we've we've settled into a good groove i think of talking about their dad and not avoiding talking about hard things and also not living in the past and being able to move forward. And that was my obsession, you know, from the very beginning and what I promised Chris. Um, And I am trying really, really hard (laughs) to honor Chris's requests on what he wanted for me. Um, Because I would always say, you know, when, he, when we would talk about the future, I'd say, well, I'm just going to stay in bed and cry all day because I don't care about anything. It's just black. And he's like, I don't know if you're kidding or not. And I said, well, that's funny because I don't know if I'm kidding yeah. or not. So Aww. how about that? And he, and he would say to me, you don't honor our life together, our love, by being miserable and stopping mm. living. And if that's the legacy of our life together oh my gosh, or
1: for our kids. Yeah.
3: You know, and he's like, I want you to create more and make more fun movies with your friends and live the life that you want to. I want you to get remarried. I want you to travel. I want you to like, you need to live life. That, that is what we're for. And so my life looks like going mm. to work and taking care of my kids. And in, in a, in the first year, I launched three children off. For away from home, wow. which seemed unusually cruel Very right cruel. after a pandemic, oh. right after my husband died and yeah. went from, you know, Stop. seven people living in her house and, and coming in and out to three. To three. And, and, um, oh, Lisa. so that's what my life looks like. So I'm learning how to be, I'm looking forward into what kind of life I want to live and what that might look like. And I feel like that's a huge accomplishment because that I can even hope now or like look forward. Yes. And when I do things like make movies with my friends or have a difficult conversation with one of my kids or, um, you know, send them off into the world, I feel like Chris would be so proud of me. And so I'm trying to sort of like hang on to those memories instead of trying to live in the past. And so that's kind of how my life looks like. It's just everything's changed. All my relationships have changed. My job has changed. My church services. I mean, everything has changed. So, um, I'm just trying to keep up and live in the moment because we don't know how long. We don't know how many moments we get. We don't. And I want to make my kids and my husband, my late husband proud. And, um, and, and, and I feel like that's all has to do with our relationships and how we interact with each other every day. And so I, I remember that from day to day, you know, I got so many like letters and cards from people that are like, you don't know me, but your husband helped me through a hard time. I just, yeah. you know, instant messaged your husband cause I, <laughs> and he really helped me. And he said this and I oh, just be like, of course you did. Of course, course he you did.
0: did. That's who he was. He
3: was sitting in that chair thinking, well, who can I help today? He would say a prayer and then he would email somebody or message somebody. And he's like, the Lord always just showed me somebody I could just, you know, interact with, maybe send a funny video to or call somebody or whatever not call because he hated talking on the phone because he couldn't talk, but uh, you know what I mean? Like make a contact and we couldn't have a funeral, but we had, I think like 15,000 people tune in and watch his funeral on zoom and, Mm. and send me letters and things. I mean, it was ridiculous and it was, and it was so humbling because I just thought here is the evidence of a life well lived. Yeah, absolutely. That that we should all be so lucky to live like that. So that's how I'm going to live. And I'm not going to, cry on my bathroom floor all day long but Just some days you
2: watch. can <laughs> but some days i do oh, lisa this this has been so beautiful and um but i'm one of those funny and i'm sorry yeah. i want no, to be I a little bit more can,
3: charming and like funny, i love that you but. can
2: still laugh you can still laugh through the tears you know i i feel like that entire at least the first year if not first two years after my husband died i felt like i laughed and cried every single day Every day I would laugh about something yes. and cry about Me something. And yeah. And it was yep. and it was the beauty of being able to do both. And I think right now I'm kind of back in that. I don't know for whatever reason. I feel like I've widow relapsed to the beginning, but it's it's good. It's beautiful. I love what you've shared about relationships, about people, about moments, about humor, about love, about service and humility. And Lisa, I just wanna say as one of the many, many people who have admired you. And your husband from afar, as only social media allows us to do in 2022, Mm -hmm. I we're proud of you. I'm positive Chris is proud of you because there are people like me who don't even know you that are so inspired by you. And my heart breaks for you and I love you. And I think you've taught us so much about the beauty of living in the and of life. It's not or. It's all Mm -hmm. and. And so, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for sharing so much of your heart and your laughter. I mean, your just your voice, your energy. Yeah. It's, it's like talking to Amanda Dixon, right? <laughs> yeah. You just hear that. You just hear that laugh. You're like, okay, the thank world's okay. <laughs> the world is awful, and the world is okay in the same breath. So it's both things. It is both, yep. and it will continue to be. And I look forward to fangirling you for years to come and seeing what beautiful <laughs> things are next for you on your path. You well, don't get right see. right back at you.
3: Well, thank right you. Right back at you. Thank you.
2: And to all of our listeners, thanks for joining us. We are just grateful that you'll tune in with us each week as we talk about the human capacity to rise above whatever it is we have to rise above. We hope you'll find our podcast on whatever your favorite platform is. Like us. Give us a rating and a review. And as you listen to these beautiful stories of resilience, we hope you'll be willing to share yours with us and with our listeners. If you have a story, something that you have lived through that's taught you about resilience and given you tools to move forward and live your best life, Please reach out to us. You can find us on social media at Relentlessly Resilient Podcast or email us directly at rrpodcast at ksl.com.
1: And remember, whatever you do today, be kind. You have no idea the struggles others are dealing with in their lives. Have a great day.
0: A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon.